Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 132. Uh, we are co-host-less today, but that is all right because we have a guest with us. Um, I don't know why I say we when it's just me, but that's all right. Uh, so, listeners, as you know, the the slogan for the show is Movie Talk for the Discerning Christian. Now, it's mostly movie talk and some Christian stuff in there as well. This week, it's uh, the emphasis is very much on the discerning Christian part. Um, I have referenced on the show before, and I've linked to it on the website and stuff, um, a uh, radio show and a website called Stand to Reason. I have talked about a, a book called Tactics, um, and it is basically an apologetics uh, show and website and, and uh other things as well. And so we have the, I'm not sure, host, founder, just uh, iconoclast, whatever we call him. <laughs> Chief cook and bottle washer. Uh, there. <laughs> uh, Greg Kokel, and he is here right now. Greg, thank you for being on the show. Tyler, I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat today. Thanks. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm, I'm, you said iconoclast, though. That got my attention. I know. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to really build you up in the mind of the listener. Well, yeah. Iconoclast well, is somebody sometimes who causes trouble, but I guess I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, that's the idea idea you want to you want to intrigue Stir people. things up mm-hmm. so uh so we've got a you know we've got a lot to get through we got a long way to go and a short time to get there okay so um we're gonna start off with some basic biographical uh, information so uh where are you from well, I grew up in Chicago. Nice. I and, lived in Chicago yeah. for many years. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, in Windy City. Yeah. It's a great place to be from. <laughs> uh, I understand what you mean. I miss it tremendously. Yeah. But yes, this yeah. is where I need to be. I was there uh, just a couple of weeks ago to visit family, and uh, but then I went to school in, in Michigan State University, and uh, and then I came to the West Coast in 1972. Mm-hmm. Uh, people ask me what brought you out here, and the simple answer is I was chasing a woman. Oh. Um, I didn't get the girl, but the Lord got me. Okay. And in 1973, I became a follower of Christ, mm-hmm. and then uh, I was living on the West End, Los Angeles area, West LA, Westwood Village area f- for much of that time. Then I moved down to the South Bay. And uh, actually, I've been living here uh, since 72, so 40, gee, 43 years now. And uh, so my whole Christian life has been here in Southern California Mm -hmm. and uh, part of the Jesus movement early on, which was really uh, exciting Mm -hmm. and had a tremendous impact laying a foundation for my life as a follower of Christ and uh, been involved in some level of of defending the faith, uh, of trying to demonstrate that Christianity is worth thinking about mm-hmm. uh, for almost the entire time that I've known the Lord. Part of it is because uh, those those concerns, those, in a sense, thoughtful considerations were really important to me. I thought I was too smart to be a Christian. Uh, that's kind of the perspective I was coming mm-hmm. from then. And when, uh, after I became a follower of Christ, I realized, boy, there's some smart people in this business and mm-hmm. in this community and have been for a long time. And there are not only good answers to the challenges, I think the smart money is really on Jesus of Nazareth now. And, and mm-hmm. this is what I like to talk about. And so you've... you've uh we, I, the, you've you've said so much already, and that that addresses three separate questions, and I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail. But if you want to, mm-hmm. that's perfectly fine with me. Um, so you you came out here mm-hmm. chasing a girl, uh, <laughs> and then you 
fell into the Jesus Jesus movement, which incidentally my dad did as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you know how time. that makes me feel when you said, "Yeah, my dad." Did I'm that. sorry. <laughs> it's, if it makes you feel any better, I have like at this point in my life, I have a lot of listeners who are like 16 and 17, uh-huh. and I'm 33 now. Uh-huh. So once when I heard someone said like, "Oh yeah, the first movie I saw in the theater was." You know, I don't know, like uh, Finding Nemo. I was like, I was, <laughs> I was twenty one when Finding Nemo right, came right, out. Right, right, right. Yeah. I got you. No, I'm just, so, I'm just um, funning with you here a little bit. But uh, so, what exactly? Um, like, what was it? What what hit your ear the right way that you decided? You know what? I think this is the thing for me. You well, know, were you super? Res- I mean, you said you know I, I'm too smart to be a Christian. Right, were you right. That resistant to it? Were you maybe even defiant of it? And then something just. Yeah, I, I think I had just a standard defiance, the kind of, I wasn't an atheist um, in, in in a defiant kind of way. I figured there was some spiritual reality. I, I would probably probably been considered uh, what people are called nuns, N-O-N-E-S okay. now. Uh, no religious affiliation. I figured there was something going on out there, but I didn't right. know what it was. But it certainly wasn't Christianity. Yeah. And uh, when I moved out to Southern California, my brother was out here my two years my junior, and, and he was a follower of Christ uh, for about two years at that time. And he just shared the truth with me in a clear, straightforward, sober fa- fashion. No mm-hmm. fancy footwork, no apologetics, nothing right. particularly clever. And um, I'm trying to think of how you just stated this a moment ago. What was it that um, struck me or or whatever? It, it, w- this is really important to me. Mm-hmm. What what mattered to me was whether or not Christianity was true, right. not whether it struck my fancy or appealed to me in any right. kind of way. It was whether it was true, and that was the that was the real issue. And uh, I would like to be able to say that, gee, my brother offered this argument, this argument, this argument, and it all right. got stacked up, and all of a sudden I realized, gee, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm going to become a Christian. But it right. didn't work, play out for me quite that way. I remember the way C.S. Lewis describes it. He went out for a walk as an agnostic, and he came back as a theist, you know, mm-hmm. a biblical Christian theist. There was some kind of imponderable thing that was going on in my life that I just came slowly to the realization that this was true and deeply so and i i look back now i see the role of the holy spirit in that yeah i that's something that because i was raised in the church and so of course when you're raised in church you you kind of just assume you're a christian Mm -hmm. you're socialized into it. yeah it's you're part of the culture so that's good enough right and then you when you probably when you become a teenager or you know that kind of thing you start to realize oh there's i think there's more to this than how i've been living it mm-hmm. um and a number of the people that i know have that that the, the, they know the date that mm-hmm. they became a christian all that and i'm kind of like you the way I, I put it in film terms uh it faded in you know <laughs> what i mean it just and then here i am mm-hmm. um i mean i can i can mm-hmm. point to some some people that were instrumental, right. um, which means I can point to a specific year or something right. like that, and that's kind of it. But. Well, in my case, I do have a date. I have okay. a, a night when I prayed with my brother, but mm-hmm. September 28, 1973, it was a Friday night. But it's clear to me now as I look back that I was probably a believer sometime before that. Not mm-hmm. much of a time, but this right. was the time where I really brought it together and kind of confessed with my mouth. Mm-hmm. Jesus as Lord kind of thing. And that, uh, so I, I look at that as my spiritual birth date, though it was the result of God just 
turning my heart towards him mm. and not the result of some kind of dramatic line of thinking that happens with a lot of people that I encounter now because we do apologetics it's right. down to reason but it, it just didn't wasn't that way for me and so uh, in regards to stand to reason so You've been doing this for quite a while at this mm-hmm. point. So 22, almost, 22 years at STR now yeah. since we started, right? And But it sounds like almost, maybe not immediately, but very soon after very becoming soon. a Christian, you wanted to dig deeper. Yes, that's right. You know? that's and right. so what led you into this as a potential career? Yeah, I didn't think of it so much as a career at the time. What I thought of, soon after I became a believer, I, I moved into a Christian community in Westwood, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of us living in an old fraternity house, and mm-hmm. teaching going on there, and Bible study, and outreach, and everything like that. It was a very Jesus movement kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I realized very quickly, within a, within within a year after I became a Christian, that I really wanted to be in full-time Christian work, is the, mm-hmm. the way I thought of it at the time. Now, that actually didn't happen for about 10 years, no. uh, and God had his hand in that, thankfully, but uh, that was my desire, and it was in those first couple of years that I began to show a lot more interest in the thoughtful side of Christianity, partly mm-hmm. because it's my temperament, partly because I was reading people like uh, Josh McDowell and Francis Schaeffer, yeah. especially, and uh, also because at uh, that time, you walk the streets of Westwood Village, and it was very easy to talk to people about spiritual things because there were all kinds of folk out there selling their spiritual wares or hawking yeah. their spiritual wares. And I very quickly realized that I needed to be more careful in the way I thought and the way I engaged when so many competitors were out there and yeah. so many objections were being raised. And so my lifestyle actually forced me into a more uh, thoughtful approach to Christianity. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because... Um you know, I, I know a lot of people, you know, family members and just old friends and stuff that live in the Midwest, and there's a, a certain opinion of California in general, and let's say Los Angeles specifically, mm-hmm. uh, and its attitude towards Christianity. And I've been living out here f- for over eight years now, and just the pe- the people that I know, the people I run with, they're show business people, a lot mm-hmm. of stand-up comedians and stuff. So there is a certain degree of hostility, but not in my experience, not nearly as much as you would think. There are people that are open to talking about it a lot more than, I mean, I know a lot of people that are atheists and if, and what I've found, and I think this is, you know, something that you've probably found as well with stand to reason. Um, if you approach them in a way that says, I'm listening to what you have to say, let's, right. let's talk together as right. opposed to you shut up, listen to what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Cause chances are they already experienced that, back home when right, they were kids right. and that's why they moved here to get that. away from it. right and it hurt right yeah mm-hmm. and so the places it's a lot more i'm reluctant to say open-minded so i'll just say open it's a lot more open than one would think if you right. approach it with the right well tone. see you asked us about stand a reason this is actually a an attitude and approach that we encourage and mm-hmm. this is where the tactical approach comes in because the key to the tactical approach the concept of, of the tactical approach is to try to stay in the driver's seat of a conversation mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you're doing most of the talking right and in fact quite the opposite uh the key to the game plan the tactical game plan is what i call the colombo tactic after mm-hmm. 
the infamous Lieutenant Colombo. Yeah. And we got to go 30 years back into TV land. But a lot of people, you know, he's actually a more recognizable TV icon than Lucy. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty cool. He's number one TV icon of all time, apparently. But, but he maneuvered with questions. And so we've worked that to an art form that's very easy to follow so that if you're asking the question, if the Christian is asking the question, then the Christian is quiet most of the time and the other person is allowed to respond sharing their point of view. So I'm, I'm four square behind the point and the approach that you just described, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler, because um, that facilitates conversation, interaction. Let the other person talk. Um, and if we're listening carefully, then we, 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 we can think of other questions that will help guide the conversation and make it productive while the other person is doing the heavy lifting. Now, I want to, I want to address, I wasn't planning on talking about it until later in the conversation, Sorry. but we're here already, so that's fine. Um, you know, uh, there's a movie that we've talked about on the show called The Big Kahuna. Have you ever seen it? I haven't. Uh, it's with Kevin Spacey and Danny DeVito. Okay. And it's based on a play. The movie is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it was first time director. It's not a visually dynamic, good performances, in my opinion, Danny, Danny DeVito's best performance ever. Mm. Um, and it's about these three salesmen in, uh, in from, in, t- at a, say, at a, like a conference. Mm-hmm. And they are meant, to, they're meant to find one guy specifically and try to sell him their wares. Uh huh. Uh, and it falls down to, it falls to the youngest guy who's not even really much of a salesman. He's from a different department. Mm -hmm. Um, and he happens to be a Christian and that's part of the story. Yeah. Uh huh. And so he's, so he's talking, so it, it's, it all happens off camera that he's talking with this CEO, but he didn't talk much about the company. Instead, he talked about Jesus, but the way that he talked about Jesus seemed almost manipulative and so my my question is, uh, uh, you know, from a devil's advocate standpoint, and sure. I'm sure people have said this before, you know, when you're talking about the idea of like the, the Columbo tactic, and I've read tactics and I find it a very, very mm-hmm. important book, I think, um, mm-hmm. for modern day apologetics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is, if, like when you're asking somebody a question in order to get information so that you might ask another question, mm-hmm. it's still active, it is active listening, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. But if somebody came to you and said, isn't that manipulative? Mm-hmm. You know, what is, what is, what differentiates this from manipulation? Well, like what, when, you, when you talk about being okay. in the driver's seat. Yeah. You know? it, well, what, Tyler, what do you mean by specifically by manipulation? In this case? Like the idea of. Okay, of, stop for just a second. Oh, here that we go. That was a trick. Okay. Did you feel manipulated when I asked you for clarification on the word manipulation? I did not. No, of course not. <clears throat> The very first Columbo question is, what do you mean by that? Okay. And the point of asking that question is to get more clarity on what a person actually does mean, and oftentimes to force another person to think more carefully for themselves about what they mean. So... Uh, it, I, it was kind of a trick, a little role play there. I asked you the question. That's a standard. I feel stupid in front of my listeners. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's 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 not. You are responding genuinely, and this is really the point because I'm trying to make the point yeah. for those listening who might think, well, maybe that's manipulative. To ask for clarification yeah. is a is a is a charitable thing to do mm-hmm. because it shows that I'm genuinely interested in your idea. and I don't want to get it wrong. And a lot of times, for example, if if you would have been 
if I would have allowed you to explain right. what you mean by manipulation, mm-hmm. now I've got a more robust understanding of right. what you have in mind, and now I can clarify more effectively for you. But I've also bought some time for myself. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's manipulative? Someone might say, oh, now the finger's pointing at me. I'm on the defensive. I've got to come up with a response to that. What if I just said, well, what do you mean by manipulation? Just cash that out a little bit for me. Right. That's not manipulative. That's clarification. But it buys me some time, too. And you know what's interesting is... Um, this is why, by the way, I've never been accused of that. Never been accused of that. Interesting. I'm sorry to have brought it up. No, no. Um, other people have brought it up. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm glad that you did, um, but I've never been accused of that. Hmm. From the, from the, In a certain sense, an outside perspective is people look at the no. technique... And I think there's been a rare person that even on Amazon, when they've weighed in with their point of view about tactics, most people really like it. But once in a while, people object, and that's part of their objection. Mm -hmm. But I've never, as it turns out, I've never had people um, say it's manipulative when I I draw them out with questions. Well, and I I think what the difference is that there's a difference between manipulating and simply being purposeful, Mm -hmm. you know. Talking, not talking around something, but being like, all right, we need to be on the same page. Right. If we're going to have any kind of meaningful right. conversation in which we, we come to something, you know, right. maybe not the exact thing that we both want, but um, we come to a clear, at the very least, an understanding, yeah. I think clarification is important. Yeah, I have a friend who's a very well-known talk show host and, and uh, not a Christian, but very uh, a very well-known syndicated show, and he's got a motto, and it says clarification. Uh, let's see, clarity before agreement, mm-hmm. clarity before agreement. We might not be able to agree on something. Let's at least be clear on the distinctions, right. not lost in the rhetoric, so to speak. And a lot of times that's a good thing to do. By the way, let me add this uh, one other thing, Tyler. There are three uses of, Col- of Columbo. The first two kinds of questions are either gathering information. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? How would you come to that conclusion? The third use of the question, though, is uh, maybe to expose a weakness or a flaw right. by using a question. Sometimes people might consider, oh, you trapped me. That was manipulative. And this is why we have to be careful how we use that. Right. But when I use the question in that way, I'm trying to show them a liability of their point of view and help them to see it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a gotcha, like, okay, one for me, but I want them to see a mistake that they're making. So I'm, right. I want to be more gentle and careful how I use it in, in the third use of Colombo that way. You know, my my wife and I uh, went to marriage counseling for a while, and one of the very first things that we learned was the idea of, li- like, I know it sounds so fundamental, but mm-hmm. just listening to someone and actually listening mm-hmm. and then asking, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Because it's astounding how much, even if it's just a word, mm-hmm. your definition could be different enough from mine yeah. that you could say something and I could take it com- as an insult mm-hmm. and you didn't mean it that way at all. Right. But by asking, okay, well, hang on now. What did you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. You so know, spell it's, it out a little bit for me. Give me a little more information. Yeah. This is especially true in our culture now that uses, uh, um, in a sense, mindlessly uses rhetorical tools that they, they adopt from the culture. Like for example, calling someone a bigot yeah. or narrow minded, or homophobe or something like that. These are just, these are, these are instantaneous responses that are meant to silence the person they disagree with. Yeah. But I think it's fair to ask in a circumstance like that, what exactly do you mean by intolerant? And yeah, if, I mean, if you look up the definition of bigot, it's, uh, Oh, it's it's uh, pretty broad. Yeah. And it, people think it only applies to, for example, you and me. <laughs> 
it often applies to the person yelling it at yeah, you as right. well. That's right. That's um, what it turns out. To exa- you're exactly right, which is part of the point. Yeah. It's being used uh, just as a kind of sophisticated, politically correct name calling instead of mm-hmm. addressing a real issue. And it may, it, in many cases, the person who's being challenged is not bigoted. They're not narrow-minded. They're not arrogant. And they're not intolerant. There's nothing that they're doing that displays that, but they've said the thing that people don't like, and so yeah. this is a way of dispatching them. Yeah. And the question that they've said a, they've said a trigger word, yeah, to yeah. use a modern, yeah, okay. modern thing. But the question, what do you mean by that? Then flushes helps to flush that out no. the open. No. Um, so I want to I want to jump into something because one of the reasons that I really enjoy the show and something I, I feel a certain kinship with it in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've loved movies my entire life, mm-hmm. and I have never seen any kind of conflict between my faith and watching movies. Yeah. Now, I will say this, there are some movies and TV shows that I feel like I personally shouldn't mm-hmm. shouldn't watch as a function of me and my own convictions mm-hmm. and the things that I sure. struggle with and that kind of thing. Your own sensitivities. Um, exactly. Stuff, right. um, and, but I've never thought an R rating is the mark of Cain or anything oh, right, like right. that. Um, <laughs> and in doing, in, in thinking that, and certainly in doing the show that I've been doing, um, I've gotten a fair amount of pushback, not a lot, but uh, enough pushback to take note from the Christian community mm-hmm. saying there it's not possible for God to speak to you through, for example, The Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. which is a movie we talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, okay, well, now you're limiting me. You're limiting mm-hmm. God. And what mm-hmm. is like, I felt like God was talking to me through that movie. So. Mm-hmm. And, and affirming what the Bible says, not certainly not saying that the the behavior of this character is a good right. thing, and so, and what's and what's more is like any another example of the Last Temptation of Christ. I felt closer to Jesus at the end of that mm. movie than I did after I saw The Passion, mm. and that's my own thing. I'm not mm-hmm. requiring that other people feel that way, um, but in that same way, I've, I've you know in researching Stand to Reason, I've found a surprising amount of Christian pushback. Mm-hmm. saying that this type of apologetics and maybe even apologetics in general mm-hmm. is somehow undermining the Bible, saying mm-hmm. that like the Bible should be able to stand on its own <laughs> and that's it. That's and by so doing this, you're relying on your own understanding mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, have you encountered oh, that? Oh, yes, directly? of course. In fact, I was just uh, two days ago up in Napa Valley and had dinner uh, Friday night with a pastor up there who's really kindred spirits with me on this, but he asked me the same kind of question about this pushback, and it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to almost make an apologetic for apologetics. That mm-hmm. is, you have to make a defense for the idea of defending the faith. Yeah. Now, I wrote a short piece um, about a year ago and uh, addressing this question, and here's the way I started out. I said, uh, regarding pastors who are concerned about this or Christians are concerned about this. What, how can we justify? What's the, uh, the significance of apologetics? And my response is, well, other than that the Bible commands it, mm-hmm. that Jesus and those he personally trained practiced it, and it works, mm-hmm. we'll just set those aside for now, I said in the piece. There's a, th- there's a fourth reason that I want them to focus in on. And that fourth reason is that um, the biggest critic that any person will ever face in their life is themselves. Hmm. Pastors need apologetics to help their people persevere in their own convictions. But so having kind of said that short little thing, let me just go back to those other three things for people that object. It's actually commanded, always being ready to give a defense 
to everyone who asks you to give an answer for the hope that's within you. This is yeah. in First Peter chapter 3. It's a famous passage. But not only that, look at, uh, just say, uh, John chapter 20, verse 21. Here John is giving the reason he wrote his entire gospel. Mm-hmm. And here's what he says. He said, you know, many other attesting miracles, that is, Miracles that are meant to attest to another truth. Mm-hmm. Um, many other signs, wonders, attesting miracles Jesus performed that I didn't write in my book, Gospel of John. Right. But these have been included. Why? In order that you will believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and in believing have life in his name. John says the entire reason that he wrote his gospel, the most famous gospel, the ultimate expression of the life of Christ, the final statement of it, actually, the last gospel written, is because he wanted to give evidences for the person and the work of Christ. It's, his, it, it's right there in black and white. And that, of course, was the habit of the disciples. You look at uh, Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon, Pentecost, you see Peter offering uh, a defense rationale there. You see uh, in Acts 16, 17, 18, 19, Paul, as was his custom, reasoning, sometimes in the scriptures, sometimes outside, and many were persuaded. I mean, um, there just is no justification for anybody claiming that apologetics uh, biblical or otherwise justification that apologetics defending the faith is an inappropriate enterprise. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. It's commanded in the text, and it works. I think for, for myself, I think my my problem and, and a thing that I need to be careful of is there are times when I can I can quote C.S. Lewis better than I can quote the Bible, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that. And and uh, Tim Keller is another one that I mm-hmm. that I really like, yeah. and I and I like the way he expresses himself. That's right. So, He's very deft in communicating things yeah. to a non Christian audience. Excellent. Yeah, and it's and that's the thing is I I sometimes like okay I need there's nothing wrong with like quoting these guys as I'm making an argument or or or, or anything like of that. But like not. I I tend to feel like for myself I, I'm it's. I'm quicker to go to them mm-hmm. than to the Bible itself, mm-hmm. which is what they would go to. And so for me, I feel like that's that's a, my own concern. You know, it's interesting. I was just reading First Peter chapter 1 mm-hmm. yesterday, and there, there it talks at the end of chapter 1 about um, the long for the pure milk of the word, by it you'll grow in respects to salvation, and then et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and right in that whole section, it says something about, uh, and, and this was the word that we preached to you. Now, I got to thinking about that. I just wondered, when they said that they were preaching the word to them, were they just standing in front of audiences reciting scripture? Right. Well, somebody could say, no, their own words were the word. Well, their own words weren't the word in the scripture because we don't have, we don't have a word by word accounting of all of their sermons to, that he would be referring to in that, mm-hmm. uh, Peter might be referring to. In fact, I don't, we have very little from Peter. We have something in the book of Acts, but no, uh, a couple of sermons. Mm-hmm. But notice what Peter was doing. Peter and, and the rest were summarizing biblical truth in language that people could understand. Okay, but I think they characterize this still as the Word of God yeah. because it was the communication of the truth of God. They weren't simply proof texting, bang, 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 here are the Bible verses. They were paraphrasing much of the time, just right. like they did, by the way, yeah. excuse me, just like they did when they cited the Old Testament 
and sometimes they're using, lots of times, they're using the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation mm-hmm. of the Old Testament. Sometimes they're paraphrasing and putting a little here, a little there, mixing it all in. Right. I don't see there's anything wrong with us taking the truth as we understand it for, accurately from the scriptures and then and then putting it in our own words. Preachers do this all the time. Yeah, that's basically what a that's sermon what is. preaching is. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we read the text, we explain the text, then what do we do? We give an interpretive paraphrase yeah. to explain this is what he's really trying to say in ordinary words. So here's what I like about the conversation so far. Listeners have gotten a good dose of who you are. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to go back a little bit and get some of your personal experience in doing Stand to Reason, mm-hmm. because I have to assume when you started it, do you, were you on like, not, not shake your ground theologically or anything like that, but did you find it, did people get to you easier, you know, as you've gotten oh, older okay. and as, you, as you've gotten more experience, like, do you feel more confident uh, when somebody challenges you? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I, there's a number of things that have influenced that people sometimes say to me, wow, you just sound so calm on the air when people are challenging you. Well, yeah. in, there's, a, there's a number of things going on. I'm older in the Lord, so um, I'm a more mature human being, a more mature Christian. Uh, yeah. um, I've worked at this. Um, I... One can be more relaxed when one is confident, and if you have good reasons for your view, uh, then you're going to be more confident, you know, yeah. and people are shooting off at the mouth. It's kind of like, hey, methinks thou dost protest too much. Mm-hmm. So sometimes pounding the podium is evidence of weakness right. in, in terms of your confidence. So uh, all of those are, are part of it. Another big part of it is that um, the world's listening. It's a lot easier for me on my own radio show now in my 26th year when tens of thousands of people are, are listening one way or another, podcast or through the broadcast, um, to be on my best behavior. Hmm. And, so, and so that has a salutary effect on my interactions. When I'm one-on-one um, with, with others or even like on the freeway or something and yeah. people annoy me or with my family, uh, this is where I have to be more vigilant. But yeah, I guess in that regard, there is... A slow, almost imperceptibly slow upward arc of improvement there. This just comes with time and with v- prayer and vigilance. Uh, let's go the other way with it. Mm-hmm. When when a person is confident, and I, you know, being an online film critic through more than one lesson and then uh, Battleship Pretension, my other podcast, mm-hmm. uh, confidence often leads to snark. Mm-hmm. and smugness and mm-hmm. ego mm-hmm. um is that a thing have you ever been tempted or have you ever actually had those moments where i guess you could refer to it almost as a as a drop the mic moment when you're you know when you're talking to someone and you've made you've made just the best mm-hmm. point possible and you've shut them down uh or at least not mm-hmm. necessarily shut them down you know what i mean when i'm saying mm-hmm. that like you've answered their point right, to right. a really good degree mm-hmm. and you just feel like yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Like, do you ever feel that uh, either early on or even now, that sense of, yeah, I'm pretty great? Well, there's kind of two things, I think, in play here. Um, the feeling that you've done your job well and given a good response, I think there's a, a, a satisfaction whenever anyone c- acquits themselves well. Mm-hmm. That I, I think that satisfaction is a virtue. 
frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, when, uh, having the satisfaction of a job well done. Right. This, this I think, is part of our human nature that God has built in. We, we apply ourselves to something. We do the job adequately. I, I think of the radio shows that I feel best about when I leave. I'm feeling a deep sense of satisfaction. Um, are, are ones where I feel like I have been able to respond to issues that I am uniquely qualified through my training or background or whatever to speak to that others might not have spoken, been, been able to speak too well. And I do it fairly lucidly and in, in, in a and uh, in a way that the person is satisfied. I do take a lot of satisfaction in that. To me, that's a distinct area of the the ego self-aggrandizement type issue. Mm-hmm. Now, that is always lurking there, you know, sure. like God to Cain, you know, sin is lurking at your door and you must master it. But I see the two as distinct. The mm-hmm. fact that we take appropriate satisfaction gives us... Um, it gives us... Uh, 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 provides the temptation to think of us more high ourselves more highly of ourselves than we ought and to yeah. be condescending and haughty yeah. and that kind of thing and this is an entirely different issue i i, I don't think humility is self-deprecation right. i think humility is not is 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 a taking a lower position no and so being willing to not be the center of attention all the time for for example and not think too highly of myself so i would say that's always a struggle but i do distinguish that mm-hmm. uh between between that and and a proper and appropriate satisfaction of having done a job well let's go with the sorry to be so negative all of, all of a sudden let's go with the the negative version of it the egotistical the haughty yeah, right. which is a word i love and i feel like people don't use enough right, right. um how do you keep yourself how do you keep that at bay in the midst of an argument that mm-hmm. you that you if you're being objective you know I'm I'm doing well, you know. Well, usually, oh well, I, 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 it's not so much in the midst. Of the, I'm pausing now because I'm trying to dissect the, the dynamic of the discussion. Most of the time, in those, I'm well focused on that, and I'm mm-hmm. not thinking, "Gee, I'm doing well." Every once in a while, that comes up, but yeah. uh, 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 I think the, ad, the what comes up in a discussion most. Front and center is the way I'm treating the other person. Mm-hmm. So if I'm speaking in a way that is haughty, arrogant, snotty, if I'm cutting them off, yeah. if I'm steamrolling them and those kinds of things, so I'm treating them in a disrespectful way, if I'm trying to make them look stupid, yeah, um, gee, that's that's the wrong direction, okay? And uh, the, all, all I can do to, to defend against that is try to be alert to it or have other people who are around me give me feedback after we're done. Yeah. And this is something that happens. So I'm on the radio and I got Melinda for 25 years sitting across the window from me. And so after we're done with a a call during the break, she might say, well, you know, you're pretty rough in that guy Mm -hmm. or something like that. Or give me, or I'll ask, was was I okay with that person? Or did I go too far? Or was I too strong with them? Whatever. So getting feedback from others is something that helps to keep me in a sense, honest in that way. After it's all done, I just have to assess my my own feelings. I can think, yeah, I'm leaving an event or something. I say, God, I'm glad, that, I'm happy about that way that went. And then the minute the the, the well, aren't I great? Thought mm. jumps into my mind. I got to say, Lord, sorry, you know, I'm your servant. I'm 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 just a guy yeah. out there serving. And so it, it conscious vigilance is uh, with others' help. Yeah. Other people who see the circumstances, being willing to let them in, yeah. um, that I think is the best solution to that. But that will always be a struggle for people who have gifts that they're using effectively in the body. It will always be a struggle um, for anybody, not just people in our work. 
And one of the, so for this next little section, I do actually, strangely enough, I want to kind of focus on how you feel in the midst of these discussions and in some cases debates, you've done debates as well. Um, I remember, did you ever watch the West Wing no, it's, uh, I'm not. I watch films, but I'm not a TV watcher at all okay. for, for 20 years or so. I haven't. So I missed. I never watched this, a, 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 a full session of Seinfeld or Friends or <laughs> I don't even know what's been going on the last 10 years, you know. So sorry about that. I'm I'm culturally inept at that. Re- well, apparently yeah, something right. big happened on Game of Thrones. I know that because of Twitter. And oh. uh, everyone's like, I can't believe it. It's like, uh-huh. oh, all right. No, I, I don't watch it, so I don't about. know. Yeah. Um, but uh, if I had to guess, I'd say they killed somebody again. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, in uh, the seventh season of uh, West Wing. The West Wing, there's a, a presidential debate that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alan Alda plays mm-hmm. one of the candidates uh, in, an, in an Emmy-winning role. See, that's from my TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, he won Emmys for MASH. He won an Emmy right. for uh, The West Wing. Mm-hmm. Uh and now, admittedly, you know, it's a presidential debate. There's right. going to be millions of people watching and, you know, you're, you could be the president if, you know, right. so the stakes are very high, but I, I, I'll never forget. It's a really nice moment where he's about to go on stage and this is his character has been a senator for decades mm-hmm. and, you know, he's very experienced and he's, he's waiting there and he's just waiting to go on stage and he's just kind of, kind of getting into, into character kind of. And someone says like, how you doing? He's like, you have no idea how this feels. And when I think of going in, into a debate setting where it's just you and one other guy, mm-hmm. you know, or woman, mm-hmm. and, and there's nothing really to, to hide behind. It's just talking. Mm-hmm. D- is that ever either now or Give in the past? Pause. Yeah. Do you ever <laughs> just feel like, hey, this is terrifying? Well, I... Occasionally, I'll have a feeling kind of like that, depending on the nature of the circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, preparation helps. Like if you have a debate, it's just a series of talks, unless there's an interactive uh, right. element to it. So you, you, you have a pretty clear idea of what you're going to say and what you're up against. So when I start and feel nervous in that situation, I think, well, wait, you're just going to give this talk. And yeah. then you're going to give another talk after he's done with his talk. So right. that's not that's that there's some butterflies that are associated with that, but not terror. The, the times when it's more difficult is when things are completely unscripted. Yeah. So I did a TV debate with Deepak Chopra, for example. Mm-hmm. I did a uh, radio debate with um, uh, Michael Shermer, right. uh, editor of Skeptic Magazine, which I actually don't want to think back or look back. I don't think i did as well as i would have liked on that one but uh, regardless uh, those are the ones where you don't know what's going to happen next you don't know what's going to come up and and they require that you be quicker on your feet those are the things that are a little bit more nerve-wracking and yeah. it's not because i don't have confidence in my view but so much of the success of those events in the eyes of other people that is what people end up thinking it has to do with gamesmanship yeah and there's whether, a performance element to exactly it. and yeah. whether you're quick and you can do a gotcha and if somebody else has got the gotcha that's rhetorically appealing, even if it's unsound, yeah. then um, people are going to side with him. Christopher Hitchens was great oh, yeah. at, at the gotcha, at the rhetorically appealing kind of response, uh, the devil may care, Peck's bad boy, likable, and yeah. uh, iconoclast, you yeah. know, there. Well, and he seemed, um, like a, a, he seemed like, you know, a character actor from uh, uh, Gosford Park or something like yes, that. Yes, exactly, just, yeah, the, exactly. 
exactly. He had a majesty to him. Actually, I just saw I saw the movie two nights ago, the DVD called The Queen. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Helen Mirren and mm-hmm. and her aide that looks just like looks him, right? Just like him. I thought this guy could play Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, that guy did a double take because I thought maybe it was him doing a you know little side work there. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, in any event, uh, I think it's, in any event, the, those are the times that are a little bit more troublesome when you're afraid somebody's going to. Got get you in a gotcha. No. Now, this is here's an interesting uh, little angle on this. That that's what's terrifying for me. The other person is also in a similar kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and even in a conversation, you know, well, they might be gotcha'd themselves. Yeah. And what I'm learning to do is to not gotcha them. Yeah. In a in a harsh way. I listened to Dennis Prager a lot. He's the person I was referring to earlier, mm-hmm. uh, this talk show host, a friend of mine. I've been known him for many years, and and I've learned a lot from Dennis because he goes out of his way not to try to make the person he's talking with feel bad, even though he's making fair points. Yeah. And he'll say, gee, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to ch- trap you here, but I gotta ask you this question. I want to know what you how you would respond to it. So there's a sense in which I get nervous when other people are I think maybe try to corner me and so then I've got to be quick on my feet and I hope my preparation is adequate to the task. Yeah. At the same time, I want to be careful that I don't put the other person in that same defensive posture because that changes the quality of the discussion to make it more like who's quicker on their feet than who's got the best answers. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's when you think about it, it comes down to what separates us from the world mm-hmm. is the world says in a debate, if you've got the quick, pithy, just the perfect mm-hmm. retort, then you've won. Yeah. Never mind. It might, there might be no substance to it That's at all. Right. And we are required to have a, a different standard, not merely of ourselves, but mm-hmm. also of the other person. And it's not as fun. Uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem as fun. And it might also mean that in the eyes of people, we might be considered uh, the loser of the debate. Mm-hmm. And somebody could, you know, uh, you hear about um, the uh, Nixon-Kennedy debate. Yeah. And that anybody who listened to it on the radio Thought said Nixon, Nixon won. won. Mm-hmm. Anybody who watched it saw that, oh, he... I remember that yeah. debate, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember watching Oliver Stone's Nixon. <laughs> right, and right, that's right, where right, I found right, out. right, right. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and like... There is a there there is a style over substance. I mean, as mm-hmm. as a film person, it bothers me tremendously right. when there's style over substance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I enjoy. Well, it, they both the play part. a role, and so the the real problem is when style can eclipse substance when yeah. substance is inadequate. Now, if you have good substance, and then you have a style that can make the best of it, well, that's the best of both worlds, yeah. and that's what I think probably really high quality filmmaking does. What troubles me is when the film world is is advancing a a, a intellectually or morally or theologically philosophically bankrupt point of view but they're able to do it in a very very convincing way because of the medium of film and then of course the flip side is you get christian films making very good points very poorly yeah yeah Um, much of the time so uh i want to go back you know it's so fascinating that your if you want to look at it a certain way your life is Debate. It's basically inviting people to come at you. Mm-hmm. Does that ever get draining, living a life like that? 
It's um, like it's like uh, the old uh, Western, you know, the guy mm-hmm. who's like the best sharpshooter is yeah. always going to be looking over his shoulder. Yeah, you know? right. Well, it, it's not quite as um, arduous as all that. I, there's a lot of spaces of mental relaxation in my professional life there. So, uh, but but I. I I, I, my simple answer to that is no. It doesn't get. It doesn't. I don't get uh, tired of 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 the the general task of answering challenges. And part of the reason is is because I have a lot of information that I know that we've got we've got really great answers to things. That is, the Christian worldview is really adequate to the task. It's yeah. better than any other. I have a tactical game plan that allows me to maneuver in ways that, and I've I've worked in advance at at, at trying to find some pithy ways of saying of dealing with issues that come up so I can make my points by and large effectively in those circumstances mm-hmm. and sometimes if I don't haven't got something worked out well it's okay I'll work it out work it out on the spot as long as I'm allowed to do that a little bit so I, I have a lot of confidence in all of that and um, and the repartee is, is is satisfying what I don't like is the real real hostile pushback yeah. and kind of having to deal with the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, that gets a little bit tired. Like I, I'm just really tired of the homosexuality issue now mm-hmm. and all of the pushback on that. Uh, but the thing is, this isn't going away. It's getting worse. Uh, and it's now it's branching out with the gender confusion and now with Bruce Jenner. And now we have this woman who is a, a, a white woman on the outside and a black woman on the inside has gotten a lot yeah. of coverage. So yeah. it's all about self-reporting and self-assessment, not self-assessment, but self, what's the word they use for this? No, I, mean, I get it. It's like my, my self-concept, oh, yeah. something okay. akin to that, you yeah. know. Uh, this is the way I see myself, so that's reality. I mean, yeah. this is just, uh, anyway, so this is the kind of stuff that I, 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 I start l- losing patience with. I get tired because it's so silly. It's so completely silly. We have much more important things to talk about than this foolishness that people are dragged off on. The but, very uh, first episode that I ever did of More Than One Lesson, I decided uh, I decided I was going to declare myself and I was going to talk about Milk, the movie Milk, which is oh, actually yeah, yeah. a very good movie. Yeah. Um, and about the assassination of the San Francisco yeah. uh, city council person. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and openly gay. Yeah, Harvey Milk. Uh, openly gay and and the format of the show is we talk about a new movie and then an older film that's thematically similar. So I talked mm-hmm. about Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to talk about was primarily this idea that like, because I was talking to a Christian audience, which is like, you should see these movies because it will help to frankly humanize people that, you know, there are probably Christians in parts of the country that will never know yeah. a gay person. And it's right. like, you need to know that like their lives aren't easy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Christians have made their lives very hard, mm-hmm. you know, and it's important for us to realize that. So that's, that was what, that was my goal. Mm-hmm. Here's what wound up happening. I got a lot of, I got, I got a lot of, uh, pushback. pushback from the Christian community and then a lot of even more pushback from, uh, the non-Christian community. And I thought, and within one episode. <laughs> and then of course, two episodes later, I talked about religious, which did also did not work out great for me. Mm-hmm. And I just thought like, this is tiring. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to stop this podcast three mm-hmm. episodes in cause mm-hmm. I need a break. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but after a while you just come to realize that like some people are never, and admittedly it was early on in the show. So maybe yeah. I wasn't expressing myself super mm-hmm. well, but you just, after a while you do come to realize that some people are only ever gonna, right. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't even matter. You could come at them, not, not even come at them. You could present them with 
the most compassionate, heartfelt, mm-hmm. reasonable, you know, points mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. That's like, right. They have, well, this is my it. conviction more and more with regards to the culture. And I said this just the other day to a group and, and that is uh, what the culture is saying now to the church is we've drawn a line in the sand. This line is called tolerance. Um, you cross over it, you celebrate diversity and we will like you. And if you yeah. don't, we're going to make life really hard on you. Now, what I told the audience is they are never going to like you. Even if you compromise on this particular thing, they're going to ask you for another compromise. As long as we are have a modicum of fidelity to the real Jesus of Nazareth, they are not going to like us. Yeah. Uh, and so it becomes an issue of fidelity, it seems, to Christ. Don't cross the line. Uh, yeah. That's what I was encouraging people to do. You, we're, we, you are you are not going to make these people happy. Friendship with the world is a is a hostility towards God. That's James. A Proverbs, the, the sage said, you know, fear of man brings a snare. And so don't even, we have our responsibility of virtue towards the outside world, et cetera, et cetera. But, but don't ever think that you're going to make these people satisfied or that they're going to in mass come over. Oh, you're such a nice guy. Oh, I get it. Yeah. You're so filled with love. I got it. No, occasionally that happens, but d- d- don't count on that at a large scale thing. Yeah. And Jesus got himself crucified, by the way, and there was nobody yeah. better at it than him. Right. The one I always go to is Jeremiah. That uh, There's a verse in Jeremiah that, of course, now is slip, slipping my mind, but it kind of became the watchword for the show, which is, you know, don't be, a f- don't, don't be frightened of them, yeah. or I'll frighten you before them. Yeah. And, and that's, to, that's me, good. That's to me, good. Jeremiah is like, there's a reason he's, he's the weeping, weeping prophet. prophet. I've said it on right. the show before. Right. It's like God said, I need you to tell these people this. Mm-hmm. no one's going to believe you. Right. Literally no one. And they're going to really hate you as a result. Right. It's like, that's, there's like no happy ending there, yeah. by the way. Is he the guy that was stuffed into a log and got sawed in half or something like <laughs> that? One of those exactly. guys. I mean, it just didn't, and yeah. it was not a pretty picture. Yeah. And, and you know, even, even without that, just to be seen socially as the guy that's just yelling all the time and he's a crackpot and right. he's terrible. Like just, there can be there's a social element to that of being an outcast right. for the sake of God that right. that can be very intimidating. This is a title. I'm glad you're bringing this up because um, I'm going to talk about this on my own show later this afternoon. But I I, I, w- I mentioned I was reading First Peter. Here's the way First Peter starts. Peter starts with a salutation to those to whom you're writing, and he says to the aliens scattered abroad in Galatia, Pontus, uh, Cappadocia, all these other regions, right? Mm-hmm. But it, what really jumped out to me is to the aliens scattered abroad. The aliens. Now, he's not talking about Jews. He's talking about Gentiles there mm-hmm. uh, because it becomes clear later on this is a Gentile audience, but he, to the aliens. And I, I realize, you know, we've always been aliens. Mm-hmm. Now, it hasn't always felt like we've been aliens because people have liked us. Yeah. But now people, you know, that's, everything's changing now. Yeah. And now it's becoming more obvious. We are aliens scattered abroad. And the sooner we get this clearly in our mind as followers of Christ, that we just do not belong in this world and we're biding our time trying to be faithful in the midst of this difficulty in the world. You have tribulation kind of thing, what Jesus said. When we get that into our mind that we're aliens, it's going to make our job a lot easier. Um, Some people are going to listen to us. Most won't. But we have a different perspective. Uh, we have, as Paul puts it in Second Corinthians 4, towards the end of that chapter, this is the weight of glory passage, which is a fabulous 16 to 18, that we look at the things that are eternal, 
not at the things that are temporal, because the things that are temporal are passing away, mm-hmm. but the things that are eternal are forever. And so it, this is an encouragement for us as we see this pushback you're talking about in our culture to realize, yeah, after all, we are aliens scattered abroad. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a thing that is occasionally, by occasionally, I mean frequently, discouraging to me yeah. because I am somebody who wants people to yeah, like him and yeah. think he's great, well, yeah, and it's, sure. it's a, I sympathize you know, with that. Yeah. But for I the mean, ver- everybody wants it. Everybody does. But you know. here, from the beginning of, of Stand to Reason, we we have a stated value, and this has been a huge part of our enterprise here. And our 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 value is a faithfulness first, and results second. Faithfulness first, results second. That is, we are not measuring our. Our, our legitimacy by the response of people, the positive response of people right. to our message. Okay. Yeah. So many came to the Lord, blah, 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 blah. Because there are times when you can be utterly successful and nobody responds. And Jeremiah is a great example. Yeah. As you pointed out uh, what we need to be focused on is being faithful. Now I think faithfulness means f- b- b- having the right message, mm-hmm. uh, speaking it persuasively yeah. and speaking it, uh, with grace, yeah. so it's 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 those three things, not just the truth, but graciously communicated and persuasively communicated. Yeah. Um, that's our job, and if we keep we stay on target with the truth, and we are we are winsome and attractive, and we are as persuasive as we can be, that's success for us. Yeah. Then whatever happens after that is up to God. Yeah. Now, up so far, twenty two years, God's been pleased to bless that. Mm-hmm. But even if things turn south for us, it's not going to change our basic approach. And I think if Christians in general had that attitude about the uh, about their engagement with the culture, they'd, it would be easier for them. I uh, Years ago, I had an interaction with uh, somebody in which um, I, I met uh, an actor that I really responded to, and he, since then he's been on my other podcast, Battleship Pretension, many times. And uh, at this point, I'd say we're friendly if not straight up friends um, but I remember early on when we first met him and there are other people around and they inter- and they introduced me uh, they happened to mention that I was a Christian and I was like oh I mean I guess it's fine that you want to lead with that but it doesn't seem like much of a selling point uh, and then they immediately followed up, they followed up with, they said, he's a good kind of Christian oh. and my first thought was like I feel like I'm making a terrible mistake if somebody uh-huh. Is calling me that? Yeah, what or, do but, they mean but maybe, by that? Yeah, <laughs> there's and, that question again. What do yeah. you mean by that? But may, and that's the thing. Like in that moment, it's like I really want to find out some clarification because it right. could it could mean that the Christian that will listen to you, the Christian yeah. that will respect you yeah. and show you and, grace, and, and, yeah. Or maybe it means the Christian that's not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Yeah, he's don't not going. He's not going. Yeah. He doesn't think he's right. He's not yeah. going to push his yeah. view on you or something like that. So uh, that did you ever find out the answer to that question? I did, uh, and it was uh, the first one, thankfully. Um, uh-huh, but yeah. yeah, but that that little question haunted me for a while because, uh-huh. and the person that said it is somebody that I talked to on a regular well, basis. I'm so so well, I'm I thankfully could ask it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I do not want Christians to fulfill the negative stereotype that people have of them. And there is enough of them out there doing that, that the stereotype persists. And so we have to play against type in that regard. We have to show people that we are willing to listen and we are thoughtful. We're not just reactionary, but we're responsive. Yeah. Yeah. There is a difference. Yeah. Um, Which actually brings me, and we need to start wrapping up, but uh, brings me to sort of the last section here, which is, and this is a very big question, and you can take it however you want. Okay. Do you have any advice 
for the Christians listening that maybe have ne- they've not heard Stand to Reason, they they know a little bit about about apologetics. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions for and they're and maybe they're intrigued by this? Mm-hmm. So you can suggest like good resources or maybe just a general attitude to adopt. Well, I, that's a very it's big question. Sound, yeah, thank you. It's going to sound a little self-serving, but I think the simplest answer to your question is to encourage people to get the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, part of our tagline, one of our taglines at STR is Christianity worth thinking about. Mm. And what I try to do in the podcast is communicate thoughtful Christianity, and I have backgrounds in uh, advanced degrees in theology and in philosophy, so I bring these tools to the table. But I'm a translator, so I'm bringing these things down to earth, I'm communicating these more complex ideas, I think, largely in ways that people can understand it. And, and I try to be a nice guy about it, not mm. with an attitude and cocky and nasty. And if people disagree, they're welcome to do that. In the show, I say, Give me a piece of your mind. I'll give you a piece of my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, th- this kind of thing is more caught than taught, I think. Yeah. And so if people were to listen in for a season onto the show, they would co- not just get the content of things that I talk about in my commentaries and in my responses to people who call in and ask questions, but they're going to get a feel for how this is done, a certain kind of rhythm. And, and therefore, if they if they're able to get into that same rhythm, they will not be fulfilling the stereotype because this is not the word iconoclast that came up earlier applies here. Mm -hmm. This is not a stereotypical um, religious broadcast. It it is nothing like that. In my view, I try to avoid that. I don't use religious language. I I find substitute words for all of these things. And I want, I want the ideas to get out there fairly. And, uh, and I, I want to demonstrate that, that, that Christianity is worth thinking about and i end the show with a statement as you probably know give them heaven and my idea is is that i want for myself and other christians to be a positive uh, influence have a salutary impact on the lives of of those who do not share their convictions Mm -hmm. that are around them so they're not like a pain in the worst sense of the word, but in 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 the best sense of the word, they get people thinking. That, mm-hmm. That's what I'm after, and this is what I would encourage other people to do. I, I I tell non-Christian audiences when I address them, I say, I'm not here to convert you. I'm just here to put a stone in your shoe. Yeah. All right, I, I just want to annoy you in a good way. <laughs> Which and brings up the I'm second part of the, the other the other question. I have much to my surprise, and listeners, I love every single one of you. I have a surprising number of non-Christian listeners. Mm, good for you. Congratulations. That's Absolutely. Great. That's I hope great. it means I'm the good kind of Christian. Well, good. Um, I, I hope I hope I get some of those non-Christian <laughs> listeners to come to my podcast do, as a result of our conversation. I'll but. do my best. And by the way, uh, Greg's book, Tactics, is available at the More Than One Lesson Amazon store. So, mm-hmm. uh, And I highly recommend it. I've read it uh, mm-hmm. a couple of times, actually. Um, so we have a number of non-Christian listeners. Mm-hmm. Again... Big, broad question. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say to them? Yeah. Uh, here, here's what I'd say. The, the, uh, I think it was um, Socrates who said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Okay, so I'm not quoting the Bible here. Mm-hmm. But the point is a good one. Um, Non-Christians have a view of reality. 
They have a view of the world. But my experience has been that these, this view is not consistent with the way the world really is. Mm-hmm. That is, they hold to things like, say, for example, they're atheistic materialists who believe in evolution, but they actually do think that some behaviors are, are genuinely wrong and not just against our evolution. And right. Well, these things don't go well together. Um, and uh, th- I'm just using that as one example. Um, it, what I've found is that they are very quick to critique what they don't like about our view. Fair enough. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, not afraid of that either. But they are not at all quick to take a harder look at their own view of reality. They are not skeptical of their own view. They are not skeptical even of their skepticism. And uh, this is what I would encourage them to do. Simply put, I believe in God and in Jesus because those, those convictions amount to the best explanation for the way things actually are. Right. And uh, I'd want to challenge them with that thought. All right. Well, <laughs> pretty heavy stuff going on, listeners. You're welcome to email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. And uh, if something is particularly engaging, perhaps I'll forward it along uh, to Greg. But in the meantime, uh, so where can people find all of your stuff? STR.org. That's the magic okay. uh, URL. <laughs> STR stand to reason. STR.org. We have thousands of pages of information. We have hundreds of videos. We have hundreds of uh, uh, archive podcasts. We have just, it's a, it's really a, it's a cornucopia of, of resources for people who are interested in the credibility yeah. of, uh, of Jesus of Nazareth and the way he saw the world. And there are a number of, uh, I don't know if you'd call them speeches. I'll just say talks uh, on YouTube. That yes, you've that's right. We have our own station, in fact. Yeah. It's it's uh, very helpful. There's, you know, after doing this for 20-something years, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot, a, of, lot a lot of stuff there, to draw right. from. But, right. uh, but yeah, so... Uh, Greg, it's, thank K- you. it's K-O-U-K-L for those who are trying ah, yes. to spell it and find it online. K-O-U-K-L. Okay, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, listeners, of course, you can go to morethanonelesson.com and uh, look up past episodes as well. Um, next week, we're going uh, gonna to go off format again. The mini-sode is not going to be about the, ne- the next Best Picture winner, which will be Ordinary People. That's going to go up in a couple of weeks. Next week, I'm going to be being really personal and i'm going to be talking about my upcoming uh 10-year anniversary so uh that's what i'm doing uh and you can find that and you can find us on itunes and facebook and twitter uh i'd love to hear any feedback you have about this or other episodes uh and once again greg thank you so much for being here tyler it's a lot of fun i enjoyed it thanks all right and we'll get you next time bye